So, um, we have just begun uh, 1 Corinthians. I talked about one word last time, and it was the word church, to the church. And I'm going to talk about... Um, I mentioned last time that I get... the At the beginning of these letters, I get stuck on a few... I don't always go this slow. I, I do go slow, but I don't always go this slow. But in the beginning of these letters... He, he just says some words, you know, and I feel like if you don't have some idea of what these words are meaning and you just jump right over them then um, and just assume you know because, you know, your pastor told you 19 years ago or something, you know, a good definition of one of these words, then I just feel like that's just really dangerous. And, and it's always, as I said last week, it's always... It's always dangerous to um, feel like you know something, because you know. And maybe I should qualify what I said last week. Truth does become familiar to your heart, but it doesn't. It doesn't become familiar to your mind in the sense that. Well, how do you know? How do you say that? It shouldn't be like something you recognize with your mind and say, I know that. If you do that, then you're not knowing it. There is a familiarity to the Spirit of God working in your heart. I mean, there's a, there's a real sense of it being home and it being life and light. And, but it shouldn't become, because uh, someone asked me about this during the week, it shouldn't become something that exists as a familiar thought in your mind or idea or concept or memorized verse. Or That's when it becomes dangerous because when you try to hold on to spiritual reality with a natural mind and, and, it, and if it lives there, if it lives there in the, um, in the mind as a truism, as a concept, then it, does, it, it, it has absolutely no power. Then the, the waves and the wind come and beat against the house and the whole thing goes down. So the word there's the word church. It's a word we started hearing when we were infants, probably a lot of us, and, and just you think you go to a church, you have a church experience and you think you know what the church is. And it's all defined by natural experiences and, and uh, natural places and natural people and natural uh, words that are you know, read to you or, or spoken to you by, by oftentimes by just the natural man. And, um, and that's not what the church is. And so last time we talked about how the church is a body that is defined by the life, the life of the body, two weeks ago. And how that's the church that we must all know and experience. And today in this uh, set, section, I want to talk about um, another, another thing here from verse 2. Where he says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And, and the literal translation here of that is those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. If you look it up in an in a interlinear or a lit, like the Lit V or any literal, Young's literal. Uh, to those who have been sanctified. Maybe not in the Young's, but anyway, that's, that is what the Greek says. Uh, called... To be saints, um, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. I I want to talk about this little section that says, To those who are sanctified or have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Um, <clears throat> a little, just want to talk about 
what what this is all about. Some misunderstandings, I think, that there are about some of this. And um, just hope that the Lord, ask the Lord to just open our open our eyes and open our hearts to receive by receive from His Spirit this morning, and, and not not from a person. Um, okay. This again, I mentioned to those having been sanctified is a, is a better translation of, of of the first part, and then called to be saints. It's literally called the to be is added, but um, but it makes sense because the word here called isn't um, it's it's the Greek it's a Greek word that means invited or summoned. It's not the word it's not the Greek word that means declared or named. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, where Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle. That's a different word. That word called there is a different word. That's like declared an apostle, named an apostle. That's This word called is uh, a word that has to do with an invitation or a summons. And um, like many are called and few are chosen. You know, that that's the kind of call that this is. So... Um, I want to talk a little bit about what I think this verse is saying and what it's not saying, and then uh, maybe maybe get into a little bit of just like the reality of sanctification. And um, and I, I, this has kind of been a big deal in my heart recently for for a variety of reasons. Um, in a nutshell, I, I want to. I think that what Paul is talking about here is a reference to the fact, to, to to the fact of a relationship with God, based upon the perfect work of the cross and the believer's union with Christ, and then the subjective or individual upward call to live in and be made conformable to that work. So there is this objective. Uh, like perfect reality to which they have been joined, and then there is um, this this invitation, this call to be, to live into or be what you could say be what they are. And it's interesting because Paul says to the church. Here's where it gets confusing. Paul says to the church that they have been sanctified and. And yet he's talking to the Corinthians. And and that, if you're not familiar with the book of First Corinthians, uh, basically what he, he starts off by saying, you're, you have been sanctified and, and you're called to be saints. And then he goes on for 15 chapters and more or less rebukes uh, and corrects all kinds of fleshly thinking, fleshly relating, fleshly dividing, fleshly living, even uh, open uh, immorality in some cases. So, so it begs the question: What does he mean that they have been sanctified? What, what does that even mean? And uh, you know, does it mean that they are grown up in the Lord? Does it mean that that they're mature? Uh, believers in whom Christ is, ha, has been revealed and formed and in whom he is reigning as the, the living uh, light and life and, and king and governing uh, nature in them. Is that what it means? Well, I, absolutely not. I, I think is a, is a pretty... Morning. It's, a, it's pretty, pretty clear there that that's not 
what he means because because he wrote the next 15 chapters. And the next 15 chapters are, again, very clearly talking to immature believers who were divided. That's what he starts out with. They're needing milk. They're not ready for solid, solid food. They're misunderstanding, misapplying spiritual gifts. They have chaos in their assemblies when they come together. They're holding on to shadows. Um, and like I said, some are even living in open immorality. And so is Paul saying that all that is okay? You know, is he saying, well, you know what, they're already sanctified, so don't worry about that stuff. They're, you know, obviously, because of the entire letter of 1 Corinthians, he is concerned about that stuff. Why? Why is he concerned? What's he saying then? You know, um, much of this letter, a great deal of this letter is dealing with is Paul directly dealing with the measure of flesh and darkness and sin that is still reigning or working in these believers and manifesting itself in the Lord's body as as something unclean, as something the Lord desires to cut off, separate, remove. It's, it's an unclean, it's a leprosy that is spreading in the camp, so to speak. And, and Paul is dealing with it. So... What, is it, what does it mean that he says that they have been sanctified? Uh, I think the, the, the word sanctified, and I have a little booklet, some of you might, might have read it, uh, that I, I, it's one time I was dealing with this reality, and, um, and I, I did, a, did a series of teachings, and I turned that into a little booklet on sanctification that you can, you can read online or get off, you know, we can send you a book or whatever. But, um, so if you, if you want to really get into more about that word and that reality, you can listen to those. Um, messages or, or or read that, but the, the word sanctification really has to do with separation, and, and that's what the 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 root of the word has to do with, and and I think that that's that's what's that's what Paul is declaring here that 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 they have been that the believers, though they are immature, though they are carnal, they have been set apart unto Christ. They have been crucified with Christ, separated from the world, called out of Adam, translated from the kingdom of darkness to, and made to dwell in the kingdom of his beloved son. They've been set apart. They belong to God and Christ. They're, they're consecrated. They're sanctified in that sense. Um, and that being true, they are also invited, they are summoned to know no other life, other no other nature, no other light reigning in their heart than that which is Christ. They are called to live separate from Adam and his world, to come out of Egypt. That's what, you know, the whole Old Testament really, it's, it's just a whole bunch of types and shadows and pictures about coming out of one world, one man, one country, kindred, and father's house, and coming into another that has to be revealed. So so it's this coming out of Egypt, coming out of Sodom, coming out of Babylon. It is it is coming out of the one and belonging to the other, but then when when he when he puts a people in the land, he doesn't say, There you go. Well, no, because there is a hostile environment in that land. There is a land full of enemies, a land full of idols, a land full of uncircumcised flesh that that the 
the seed of Israel, the seed of Abraham, the seed which is Christ, has to um, bring the land to an experiential victory over. So they're crucified to the old man, and now they're invited to put off the old man that God has crucified. That's some of the language of, of Paul. He, there he says both. He says that, you know, he, he talks about being crucified to that man to sin, and then talks also about putting off and becoming, by the renewing of the mind, putting on. They are, you could say it this way, they're taken out of Egypt, and they're invited to let the spirit of truth and the living word of God wash the darkness of Egypt from their soul. Roll away the reproach. Joshua 3, 5, can't remember. Roll away the reproach, 5, um, of, of Egypt from their soul. They've been given, here's another picture. They've been given David as their king and he is a perfect king. He is the man after God's own heart. I mean, in types and shadows, in the language of types and shadows, he was the one. He wasn't Saul. He was the one that God chose, the one that represented God's heart. And yet now they must go out to David. Now they must experience his reign, his increase in the land of their heart, putting away everything else that breathed. That's what David did. Removing every other reign and authority and principality and power that reigned in that land. Because there was lots, there was a whole lot of rulers and authorities and principalities and powers that David, that were already established in that land as the governing reality, as the governing light and, and the light that is darkness and the, the idols that we call Christ and the, the flesh that we think is spiritual and all that garbage. It was already in the land, and so David had to kill it all and not leave any of it that lived. In fact, the Saul, the, the Saul, the, the kingdom was taken for, from Saul because he wouldn't do that because he he thought some of it could stay. He thought that it was he he, he didn't think it all needed to be obliterated. He thought there was something already in the land that could live with Christ, with the King, with the kingdom, and it couldn't. And so God says, the kingdom has been torn away from you and given to someone that's better than you. What makes him better? Here's what makes him better. It's that he's going to kill everything that isn't the kingdom of Israel. And I know those are ugly, horrible pictures. I mean, horrible in the sense that they're, they're they, naturally speaking, they're, uh, they're, they're hard to read and they seem sad. Although, don't, don't forget that he let the iniquity of those people fill up that land first he let them continue in their iniquity and their abominations and sacrificing their children to to Moloch and, and all the different abomin abominable practices that he lists in Deuteronomy before they go into the land that land was a picture of the human soul full of the filth and degradation of Adam and 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 God has a king and his king reigns with a scepter of righteousness and he's got a really big sharp sword and he goes into the land he doesn't just he doesn't just bring Christ into the land he brings Christ into the land with a sword and so you know there's lots of ways to say that you can say he takes you out of Egypt and he has to take Egypt out of you or you can say Jesus here's the way Jesus said it in John 13 he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet well, what does that mean? It means because the, the the disciples at that point, except for the one he said was the son of perdition, 
They had believed, they had received the word that came to them, Christ. And they had, they had, in a sense, become clean by receiving that word. But they still needed to have the feet washed, that is to say, the place where the world has stuck to them. The thing that, that where you touch Adam and his world and it clings to you, that needed to be washed. And so he gives his disciples an example of what that was and how that is love, how that is the way that the body loves one another is to help each other become free from, clean from the 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 residue of the natural world and and Adam and the flesh and the dirt and the slime of that creation or that that fallen creation and man. So the the believers that Paul is writing to here in First Corinthians they are not called here to they're called to be holy they're called to be saints they're not called to just claim themselves and this is what this is what Christians do sometimes. Well, there's actually errors on both sides of the spectrum, and I'll get to that in a second. But, but, but we're not called to just claim ourselves righteous and claim ourselves saints and sanctified, even though there is truth in that, that claim. But it's, we're not called to just claim ourselves to be saints while we continue to still live in the deadness and blindness and sin of, of the Adamic man. That's not true. We're not supposed to say, hey, guess what? David's our king and still give our members as instruments that are slaves to sin. That's not true. That's what Paul says in Romans 6. That's wrong. And it, this is not, you know, claiming yourself to be a, a saint or a sanctified one is not a way to feel better about your lack of Christ or the lack of Christ that's reigning in you. In a sense, you, and, and it, it's, it's true that you receive the fullness of Christ when you're born again. You don't receive a piece of him. And, and, and yet that fullness of Christ is not, does not have a full reign in you. You see, you see the difference there? It's, you don't get just like a finger of Christ and you're hoping to get a foot. You get Christ and there's only one perfect seed and it's all, all the life is wrapped up in that seed and yet that seed needs to grow and fill the land, put down roots and spread out branches and choke down every other living plant that's in that land or that seed is not doing what it was given to you to do. So the 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 word and, I, and and maybe I don't need to say this to some of you guys I I don't know but I I I'll tell you why I'm saying it in a few minutes. He he gives them he call he calls them those who have been set apart unto God by union with His Son, sanctified, consecrated, called to be saints, not so that we can just pat each other on the back and call each other saints. It's not an invitation to claim. The imputated, the, the, the imputated righteous, or the, the imputation of Christ's righteousness, and then continue living in Adam's blindness and death. And and we could read hundreds, literally hundreds of verses in the New Testament that that say it. And I and I say all this because, like I said a minute ago, there's errors on both sides of the spectrum. The norm, the normal Christian error. You've heard of the normal Christian life. This is this is the normal Christian error. It's a different book, <clears throat> but the normal Christian error is to is really to see an unfinished work of God. Okay, one where God has only given us forgiveness, 
by the cross, but but he 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 still needs somehow to uh, finish what he started or do something else or add to it or bring us to heaven where that that's where we'll get, receive the fullness of it or he needs to blow up the planet and and you know with a meteor and and before we can really enjoy the fullness of our salvation or the greatness of Christ and and that idea is on on one end of the spectrum that's over here where where most believers live and that yeah you know what did, what happened at the cross well thank goodness he gave us forgiveness of sins but you know and and the spirit can help you if if you feel weak but we still need to do the best that we can or change the in our in our own efforts and diligence and discipline change um, ourselves or, 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 or please God and the power of the old man or please God by, by the works of the law and that's totally that's wrong on this side of the spectrum okay because because he did he did the, a perfect powerful work he gave you a perfect powerful finished seed in whom is all the pleasure of God and all the power of God and it doesn't need any future consummation. It doesn't need him to add to it. And you could never add to it in a million years. So that's the error on one side, okay? I'll say more about that in a second. The error on the other side of the spectrum is that there, that because there is indeed this perfect finished work of the cross, that all we need to do is just be glad that it's finished. And that we're righteous even though somehow we aren't experiencing that righteousness or it's not reigning in us as a kingdom of righteousness you know that you know it says we're sanctified so i guess we're good you know i guess it uh it says in christ you know we have been made complete so i don't feel complete i don't feel changed i don't feel different i don't know light and life reigning by the scepter of christ in my soul but it says that i'm you know and and, and 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 the idea here, the error here, is that the only thing at stake is personal ignorance. And I and I feel like after I saw after I saw the, the, the a little bit of light, and I saw the finished work of the cross, and I saw how God had done this incredible work of the cross and given us this perfect salvation that doesn't need to be um, that I couldn't add to that I couldn't modify it and I couldn't produce the seed I couldn't be the seed and I started seeing some of those things a wrong idea that kind of crept in with that was the idea that the only thing at stake for all Christians because I looked out at the church and said no one knows this stuff no one's talking about this stuff Who, who's, t- who's teaching this stuff the only thing at, st- at stake was personal ignorance like do you see what I mean like like yeah, so and so, you know, they've been a believer for fifty years. They don't know anything about the cross, the work of God in the inner man, the revealing of Christ, the putting away of Adam, the revealing of Christ. What all that? They don't know that. They don't talk about it. Whatever. They're still just kind of forgiven, trying to forgiven sinners trying to go to heaven. And the only thing that's really wrong with that is that they're ignorant of of the truth. No, there's more at stake. There's more at stake than just ignorance. There's more at stake than just whether or not you're enjoying the, the benefits of God's mighty work of the cross. I feel compelled these days to say that with, with all my heart, 
to say that the entire New Testament preaches, declares a finished work of God that must become a living reality and experience and kingdom reigning in the soul of man by faith. Okay? The finished work of God, the perfect seed, a perfect new life, resurrected from the dead without reference to sin, given to the soul of man that must become a living reality, experience, and kingdom that reigns in the soul of man by faith. Now, let me say some clarifying statements about this because I don't want to be misunderstood. And I said just some of this a minute ago, but I wrote it down here. I, I guess I got ahead of myself. I'm going to say it again just to be clear. There is a finished work of the cross. God does not need to add to it, change it, or consummate it. It did what it was supposed to do. It finished his work, and you couldn't add to that work in a million years of discipline and effort. Okay? But that finished work is defined. The thing that God did, the thing that God accomplished is... He, it's defined by a new life, a new creation, a new seed, a new man, a new spiritual kingdom that was made by putting away the old and the substance of the new is Christ himself. In other words, Christ is that the finished work of the cross is, is, is more of a who than a, than a what. It's, a, it's Christ himself. Man receives that perfect, complete, new life when he's born of the Spirit of God and man never has to contribute anything of himself to that seed. That's such good news. And all of man's fleshly efforts are in vain. And all of man's attempts to improve the old man, the old man are in vain. And all of man's many self-help Christian books are, are ridiculous. And, and it's a waste. And, and it leads to all of self-help in the church and out of the church is a complete exercise in vanity that leads to one of two things. Pride or condemnation. That's all. All of man's efforts. All of man's willing and running and planning and ministering and thinking and sweating and praying and serving in the flesh are not only not helpful, they are antagonistic against the seed, the new perfect work that God has deposited in your soul. But, here's the big but. Man has a role. Man has a role. And that role is becoming more and more clear to me. Man's role is to be the good soil in which that perfect, beautiful, unchangeable, unmodifiable seed has its increase. Man cannot be the seed. Man cannot produce the seed. Man cannot make himself like the seed. Man shouldn't try to copy the seed. Man should... Man has a responsibility. And that responsibility, you could say it in a number of different ways. The way that it's been really 
just burning in my heart these days is man's responsibility is to seek the kingdom of God, to desire the increase of that seed, to look for it, to long after it, to wait for it, to search the house, to, to search the house with the candle everywhere everywhere you can until you find the, the, the seed and can differentiate it between all the other crud that is in the house. There's a strong man that's been in that house for a long time and he's reigned in that house and he's going to keep reigning in that house until the stronger man it, it pushes him out, crowds him out and fills the house with himself. Otherwise, he'll just come right back. There, the, 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 the responsibility of man is to long for the courts of the Lord, to seek and to, to sell everything he has to buy one precious pearl of great price. Do you see? He has to, you have, this is what man can do. Again, I want to be super clear about this because this is where Christians get confused. We don't even know, we've never even seen the reality of this seed. We don't know how other it is than our own nature and our own life. So all we usually do in, Christ, in Christendom is, is we try to be the seed and <clears throat> please the seed and, and work for the seed and, and follow the seed in all these ways that are just so fruitless. And then you start to see the seed and you say, hey, it's not I, but Christ, it's Him, it's Him. But, 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 then it, but there is a responsibility. And here's, here's what it is. Buy the pearl. Find the pearl. Look for the pearl. Be the merchant that's looking for the great pearl. Find it and then sell everything else that you have to buy that one pearl. Then you have to lose everything that was gained to you in one man to be found in, in another man. To, to find, to be, to count everything else as loss. And, and, and find, become the living territory of the other man. To become the kingdom of that man. You have to sit at the feet of Christ like Mary. And find the one thing necessary. Have you ever stopped and just thought about that verse? Jesus said... That she's found the one thing necessary, the one thing that won't be taken from her. Have you ever just stopped and thought about how that, 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 that means that everything else will be taken from you? Everything, that's the one thing that won't be taken from you. Everything else will be taken for you. What are you, what are you doing about that right now? I mean, that, that's, that's everything. Are you, are you doing one thing or are you doing the many things that Martha does in the name of serving Christ? You see, or, or has life become, has life, have you let the, the spirit of truth whittle your life down to just one pearl and, and, and have everything, excuse me, everything in that one pearl and and desiring the increase of that seed, that precious seed to become to become the death of every other plant in the garden. You know, you're all familiar with how how the other plants rise up and choke out the seed. Well, I'll tell you what the other the other way works too. That one seed of Christ rises up and chokes chokes out everything else. If 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 you're a person that wants that pearl more than more than your own life and that's that's what keeps us from moving on with the lord i'll tell you i know people that have started to see that seed i know people that have <clears throat> have have caught a beautiful glimpse of that pearl 
and they, they've seen it and they've loved it to an extent, but they haven't sold everything to buy it. They haven't been willing to lose everything else for that one thing. They haven't found the one thing that they haven't found the staring at that one seeds in, in a way that that won't be taken from them. And so they, they get excited for a while and they and they and they love the difference. And then then the other thing, you know, the enemy, there's another, there's another one that goes out planting seeds. You remember the parable of the, of the tares and the wheat? Who planted the tares? There, oh, the enemy's done this. There's an enemy that plants other seeds and he's flinging them into your soul as fast as he can. And wherever they find room, they grow too. Your soul is a, it's a petri dish. It's a perfect environment for the growth of whatever you throw in there. And anything and everything that you're putting in there, it grows. And yet there's a precious seed in there. You better be careful because everything else is growing too. And the increase of the one seed, the true seed of God, the pearl of great price, that will choke out the other ones if it's the one thing that that, that you love. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might, then it grows. Sorry, I'm... These things are, are are pretty pretty important to me, um, and 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 we, we sell ourselves short talking about. I love the finished work of the cross. I love how He did everything that I couldn't do, and how He's doing everything in me that I could never do. I love it. But don't sit there and talk about it, and in your heart water the false seeds of sin and death. Don't give yourself room for anything else. You have to carry the the very cross that put Adam to death, the cross that judges that man and calls him dead and ugly and useless and religious and empty. You have to wear that thing every day. You have you don't just point to it and say I'm glad that that happened. You put it on you and you let it every day be the death to every other seed that wants to grow in you. You let it be the judgment that that's that cuts down every contrary thing in your heart. You have to be willing to do that. Yeah, I mean you have to allow you have to desire, you have to seek the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? Nobody knows. That that's the thing that's is so amazing. We we don't know what the kingdom of God is. We think it's we think it's I don't know what we think it is. I mean there's I know everyone's got an idea, but it's just it, it, I tell you what it is. It's the reign of Jesus, the resurrected Son of God in your soul, putting to death, like David did, every, everything else that breathes. So that Christ is all in all. So that, so that for me to live is Christ. So that it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. <clears throat> it's, it's letting... That one pearl be the only thing that you have, and that's that's I mean, that's the question that's on my mind, friends. What else is alive in your heart right now? That's my question. What else is alive in your heart? Does Christ have room to grow? Or are you claiming a finished work and still resisting its dominion? You know? 
Are you are you, are you like Saul? You know, poor Saul. What's why do I say poor poor Saul? I'll tell you why I say poor Saul. I say poor Saul because that guy knew that David was the true king of Israel. He knew it, and he kept he kept every once in a while he gets so broken down he just say it. I know God's given the kingdom to you, and you're going to reign in my place. You know, I I, I know it's your kingdom. And he'd weep and say, I'm sorry, David, what have I been doing? And then he gets so confused about who the king was and who the enemy was. He spent his whole life trying, instead of fighting the enemies of God in the land, he fought David. He fought the true king. He, he said that David was the right king. He knew the whole land belonged to him. And that poor guy, he just, he listened to the counsel of the enemy. He listened to, to people who didn't know the king, didn't know his reign. He, he got so confused and, 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 and he, you know, he hired the 3,000 best men of Israel to go with him and chase after David. And just as soon as he realized, just as soon as God had mercy and cut off the corner of his robe and showed him that he could have killed him, showed him that, that, that there was another anointed one in the land. There was, he's not the right king. Just as soon as he showed him that, uh, poor guy went back to, Back to the palace, you know, and thought about that for a few days, cried about it. And then a few people started whispering in his ears. And then he said, yeah, let's go get David again. And they go back out and do it again, man. And that's what we are. That's what we do. It's one thing to say that David's the king. It's another thing to let him put everything to death that isn't his reign. That's what Saul couldn't do. And man, was he tormented by the devil. And man, he, he, you know, in his heart of hearts, all he wanted to do was hear David sing. But he died, you know, consulting witches and, and hearing the voice of the enemy and and fighting against his own good, fighting against his own government. I mean, the government of, his, of, of the good one, of the good king. What's in your heart? How many other plants are growing in your heart? How many of them are you letting grow in the name of liberty in Christ, friends? In the name of freedom from the law? In the name of a finished work? How many other things are still the... How was that? I had a group last night, my, the Spanish group I do online, and, and um, I just read that my, my friend Grace, I think, is trying to translate it. She wrote some really good things here. She said, she said, she doesn't, she said she doesn't know a whole lot about the, the enemy, but she, she's been experimenting recently <clears throat> that the nature of, of, of his attack is that she's been, that she's been becoming aware of is a, a working in her to make her more tolerant of the flesh than God is. Where she gives a permission to the flesh that God does not recognize. I really like that. That, that, that she is more tolerant in herself of the contrary kingdom. I mean, that's, that, isn't, that what, isn't that what Saul lost the kingdom for? That's it. That he was more tolerant of the flesh than God was. He was more tolerant. He, he wanted to actually 
offer some of that stuff up to God. We kept the best to offer it up to the Lord our God. He thought, you know, we don't have to kill the king. He's, he's a nice, you know, he's got a lot of you know, jewels or whatever reason he didn't kill Agag or Ag, whatever his name was. Are you more t- are you more tolerant of things that are of a contrary nature to his son than he is? Are you letting those things grow in your heart? Listen, I, I lo- the finished work of the cross is wonderful, and many teachings on this website have to do with that finished work, knowing it, experiencing that work. But the f- the finished work of Christ. The finished work of God has a name. And that name is Christ the Seed. Christ the Resurrected King. Christ the Light. And He applies His work. He applies that finished work to your soul by killing, by removing the man that could not please Him with all of His efforts. The man that could not obey the law. The man... That the law condemns. He, he, he applies his work to your soul by first entering the land like an implanted seed. Receive with meekness the implanted word so that it can save the land. That's what James says. I mean, he says it like that. He's, he, not exactly like that. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word of God that it will save your soul. But that's what the land was. The land was the soul needing to be conquered by the king. This, the, the implanted word has to, it needs to not just, not just give you a title of being saved. You know, when were you saved? I was saved in 63 or I was saved in ought four or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Milo says it, ought six. or I, I don't even know what ought means. But I... Uh, you know, not when were you saved? Is the implanted? I mean, I, I know that that's a relevant thing too. But 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 here's something else that's relevant: is the implanted word of God saving your soul? Is it destroying everything else? He gives you a full, complete, perfect seed, and then he wants to fill your soul with it and make you conformable to it. And and root and see, he wants to cut off everything that's not of the same root. And there's a lot of things in the land. That's what I'm trying to tell you. There's a lot of things in the land that are not of the same root. They're not of that holy, righteous root of the olive tree. They're of a different root. And 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 those I tell you what those other roots want to be formed in you, just as just as strongly and powerfully, or or at least of an equal equal an equal desire. Or, 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 I don't know how to say it. Maybe not equally or whatever. I don't know. I don't want to get, glorify the enemy, but I do know that he wants to grow, and and he wants to reign supreme in you. But God wants those who have been sanctified, those who have been set apart by their union with His Son, by being joined to the perfect one, He wants them to become what they are. He wants them to live. He wants them to be able to say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. And it's no longer us that live, but Christ who lives in us, and, and that's what the upward call is. That's what the uh, the upward invitation, the upward invitation of God in Christ. You, you've read that verse, the upward call of God in Christ. That word is invitation. The upward invitation 
to live above, to be free from below, to, to let the spirit of truth disentangle your soul from the realm and the man into which you were first born. You were born in Ur of the Chaldeans. And God's call to you is, get out. Leave it all behind. And see and walk in and live in the breaths of the land that I will show to you. It's a different land. That's the upward upward call, the upward invitation of God in Christ. All right, I'll, I'll stop with that. And... Probably said enough. <laughs>